0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: And he took the blow that was due me and you. And now when he looks at us, those of us who have put our trust, put our confidence, put our faith, given our lives to Christ, he sees the righteousness of his Son. For our sake, for our benefit, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, through him and by him, we might become the righteousness of God. I can see
0: the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry chain of the past you've broken into all oh, the fear of the lies we're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you oh, is impossible. Hello and welcome to today's Grace to Live Radio Broadcast with Keith Crosby Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so glad and encouraged that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues his sermon series entitled, The Blueprint. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to Colossians chapter 2. And now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Jesus heals a man born blind, and the man worships him, and Jesus accepts worship. Jesus accepts worship. Jesus believed he was God. He accepted worship time and time again. There's no way that he didn't believe he was not God. And as far as him believing he was the Messiah and the Jewish thought in that day, it changed around The 11th century a.d. but jewish thought always was that the messiah was supernatural and that he was somehow divine jesus believed that he was the messiah how do we know that because he said he was where did he say that he said it in john chapter four john chapter four is the great story of the great account of jesus meeting the samaritan woman at the well And they have this religious dialogue going back and forth. And Jesus tells her a whole lot of difficult things. And he says to her, you know, you guys worship what you don't know, but salvation is from the Jews. You Samaritans don't know what you're talking about. And as they go back and forth, she finally is trying to punt and trying to get out of this conversation. And in John 4, 25 and 26, we read this. The woman said to him... I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's like, okay, we're in a tie. The tiebreaker is when the Messiah comes and he's gonna set this all straight. He'll tell us and it won't be about you and me arguing. And in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus thought he was God. Jesus thought he was the Messiah. Jesus time and time again affirms that, and even his enemies got it. Even the people who didn't like him understood clearly what he was teaching. A number of times, they took up stones to stone him time and time again. Why? He said, why do you stone me? For what good work do you stone me? They say, we do not stone you for a good work. We stone you because you being a man make yourself out to be God. They they got it. Later on, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to stone him because he invoked the great I am, the Yahweh name of God. And they took up stones to stone him because they knew that he was claiming to be God. I wasn't claiming to be God. He never, ever once does that. And then in John chapter 5, where he really makes them angry and they wanted all the more to kill him. He claimed the same eternality as God, the same ability as God, the same power of God. And then he goes on to say that he deserves the same worship that God gets. What do you think he's saying? saying, I'm God. They want to kill him. Why? Because they understand that he's claiming to be God. It was no mystery. There never has been a mystery about this. Conspicuously absent each and every time is any backing away and saying, wait a minute, you misunderstood me. He never, ever says that. He accepts worship, he receives worship, he claims the power of God, he claims the right to be worshipped as God. Time and time again, he claims to be God. Even in John 17, 5, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus, you know, he says, you know, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. He claims eternality. He claims to have existed before the world existed. There's no mistaking what and who Jesus is and, what he, and who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Savior. And what you have to understand and questions that everybody has to answer in their own heart is, do I believe this? Because it is the basis Not just for how you're going to live this life, but for where you're going to spend eternity. Because Jesus is God. And what do you do with that idea? Well, Jesus is God, He's the Messiah. What what do I do with that? Let me give you some just very simple ideas for application here. Number one, treat Him accordingly. A lot of times we sort of move Jesus down, we sort of play down who He is. We over, you know, you want to be balanced. We overemphasize his humanity like he's going to put up with anything and everything. And we don't live a life that indicates that we understand who he is and what he's done for us. We need to take him more seriously. You know, he says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Who is it that loves me? The one that obeys my commands. Also, because he is our God and our Savior and the only Savior that we need to serve him diligently because he has raised us up for such a time as this. He has prepared us. He has rescued some of us here. Not because that we're special, but because he's special and because he loves us and he wants to take that message of love, help, healing and wholeness and salvation to a hurting world. And so we need to take what we know and reflect on that. Because that's who Jesus is, the loving God who came to earth to rescue humanity from its own self-destruction. Now let's talk about what Jesus does. What does he do? Our blueprint says we believe that Jesus Christ is our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. So what did Jesus do? Jesus died on the cross for our sin. The God of the universe, who existed before the world was, living in heaven where there's no sickness or sadness, came to this earth to pursue us. The sinless one took the penalty for our sin. Jesus came and lived as a man, he kept the law. He honored his Father in heaven, and then he took the penalty for all of our sins upon him. Where do we see that? We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at this. For our sake, for you and I, for all of us here, he, the Father, made him the Son, Jesus, to become sin, to be sin, who knew no sin. He took the one who never had experienced sin and he put the penalty of all of our sins on him. Why? Or there's a so that there and that always tells you why. In the Bible, I love the Bible, it'll tell you a fact and it'll give you the reason. It'll give you a command and give you a reason. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when Christ, Before I was a Christian, God looked at me. He saw all my sins. And God hates sin. And so what he did was he took my sin and he put it on Jesus. And he took Jesus' righteousness and he put it on me. And that's where Jesus went to the cross. And he took the blow that was due me and you. And now when he looks at us, those of us who have put our trust, put our confidence, put our faith, given our lives to Christ, he sees the righteousness of his son. For our sake, for our benefit, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, through him, and by him, we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake points to the fact this was done on our behalf. This was done by Jesus. He is our substitution. He is our sacrifice. He took the sin on himself that we would become right with God. His motivation, love. His motivation, our good. He had nothing to gain. You know, we used to always say at Christmas time, what do you give to the guy who's got everything? Well, God owns everything. We have nothing to give Him. He needs nothing from us, but He wants a relationship from us. He wants to rescue us from the pain of sin, death, and hell, and all the self-inflicted wounds we put on ourselves. He took our sin on himself for our sake. This shouldn't be a surprise because elsewhere in the Bible we read this. Romans chapter 5 we, we read, while we were still helpless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. goes on to say that seldom would anyone die for a righteous man, though somebody might die for a good man, but God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God took the penalty for our sin on His person and the person and work of Jesus Christ and He died for us. Is this some isolated passage? Is this a passage taken out of context? Is this an idea that you find this obscure verse over here and you just camp on it. It isn't. This is the theme of Genesis through Revelation. In fact, in Hebrews, we see this again. In Hebrews chapter 10, 11 and 14, I want you to look at this because there are people today who would tell us, well, Christ may have died for sin then, but you've got to do something to correct for your sin now. People would tell us that, We have to do religious rituals week in and week out to please God. There's a a, a Christian-like group that teaches that Christ's death on the cross paid for original sin, but the sins that we commit have to be atoned for weekly, and Christ has to be sacrificed again and again, over and over again. But what does the Bible say about this? Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 Every priest stands daily at his service. So the Old Testament priest every day was prepared to make sacrifices, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The sacrifice that the priest made was a symbol of what was coming, that someone else would suffer the consequences for our choices. And the good Jew brought his sacrifice, something important to him, something valuable to him, because he believed God. And by faith in God, he sacrificed a cow, a bull, uh, a lamb, a goat, which would be like sacrificing your car today. It would, it would cost you something. And then in verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering, He perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being saved, those who are being set apart as children of God. Under the old system, you had a a symbol of what was to come. Through Jesus Christ, who was God in human form, the fullness of deity residing in bodily form, who had never sinned, allowed himself to be crucified, put up on the cross, in our place, he paid the once and for all sacrifice The Apostle Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God with a once and for all sacrifice. This is what Jesus does, and this is what Jesus did. He functions as our Messiah, as our Redeemer, as our intercessor. He sits at the right hand of majesty on high, praying for us until he returns. He gave us provision from God He provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves because those of us who are stained with sin can't make a sacrifice to take our own sins away. Somebody has to come in and give us a bailout. You remember the financial crisis. We talked about this before. We were underwater in our sin debt the way people were underwater in their mortgages. We were upside down and we needed a bailout and God came to earth, lived and fulfilled the law that we broke And then, being sinless, he allowed human beings to nail him to the cross, and there, he took the penalty that was due us. He is exclusively our Savior, our substitute, and the lover of our souls. God does for us what no man can do. He achieved for us what we could not achieve for ourselves. And that's why Jesus is the only way. What did Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father but through me and in acts four 12, we're told that there's no other way to god you know different religions aren't the way to god it says in acts four twelve, there is no other name given among men under heaven by which you can be saved jesus is god and jesus saves no one has loved us like this human beings aren't naturally they are supernaturally capable of this love But Jesus died for our sin. And better than that, believe it or not, he rose from the dead. You see, there are a lot of dead religious leaders in this world. There are a lot of dead religious teachers, but none resurrected. And this is the other important part of our blueprint, right? We believe that he was God. We believe that he was the Messiah. We believe that he died for our sin and victoriously rose from the grave. Why is that important? Because it means you can trust him. It means that his word is true, and he demonstrated it by conquering sin, death, and hell for you and for me. God's love reaches beyond the grave. That's one reason for the resurrection. What Jesus did in his resurrection was to show us he's exactly who he said he was. He's not some magician like David Blaine, only with way cooler tricks. He's the Messiah and the Savior. In fact, and, and you hear this sometimes in the modern Christianese, Christianized world. Well, I believe that Jesus was a good teacher, and I believe he was a good guy, and I believe that. I don't really think his resurrection is that important. I don't think, well, you know, what does the Bible say? And in 1 Corinthians 15, and sometime you should read all of chapter 15, but I'm just going to excerpt it here starting in verse 12, going through verse 19, where it talks about how important the resurrection is to each and every one of us in this room. Now, if Jesus is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I remember I heard somebody say one time to a pastor, you know, I don't believe what you believe, but I I believe it's beautiful. He goes, well, if it's not true, it ain't beautiful. That's what Paul's saying here. If there is no resurrection, everything we believed is futility. But there is a resurrection. And we have to come to terms with that because in this world, there are really just two choices when it comes to religion. The religion of human achievement where you do something to make yourself right with God and fix everything you've broken and others are broken. And then there's a religion of divine achievement where God does for you what you could not do for yourself. Now, this other religion over here has many different names. But this religion over here has the name Christianity. Because we are followers of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who came to earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, who saved us and then demonstrated that he could be trusted by his resurrection power. And that is the power that he will place in you when you embrace him. You know, you, you talk to people and say, if you died today and stood before God, would he let you into his kingdom? Yes. Okay, why is that? Well, because I'm a nice guy. Well, there's none righteous, no, not one. Oh, because God is love. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The bottom line is you have to figure out where you are. There's this, there's man and there's God and there's this big gulf in between and we can't get to him in and of our own strength. But through the cross, which serves as a bridge, we can. If we put our trust and our faith in Christ. And what all of us have to understand today is where we stand on that that chasm and where we stand in relation to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you really believe this? Because lives hang in the balance. And maybe your life hangs in the balance. Maybe you know about God, but you don't know God. You know about Jesus, but you haven't surrendered to Him. You haven't embraced Him. You haven't received the gift that He offers. Let me encourage you today. Stop resisting. He wants to bless you with what you don't deserve. He wants to give you a gift. And He offers that gift to everybody, but He only gives it to those who will receive it? Who will put out their hands and say, I need a Savior. I'm not just not perfect, I'm bad. I'm not, I'm, I'm not as good as I need to be. I, I, too often I love myself more than I love others. Too often I say things about people or think things about people that I shouldn't think. And I know that the wages of sin is death, but I know the gift of God is eternal life. And oh God, please give me that gift through Jesus. It's not painful. But it will change you from the inside out. It will take you off the road to destruction and put you on the road to eternal life where you will spend an eternity as a child of God with God your Father. For those of you who have already trusted Christ, what do you do with this teaching today? What do you do with all these teachings we've had? The Bible, God, the human condition, Christ, who and what He is and what He does. What do you do with that? Some of you may say, well, I know Easter's coming and I know I'm praying for these 10 people to invite to church, but I don't know what to say to them. Just tell them what you know. Take what you've heard and tell them what you know. It's, It's like any skill you have, you can always teach somebody who has less understanding than you. Just tell them simply, you know, I know you're hurting, I know your life is a mess, but the Bible tells us, which is the word of God, that God can fix this that God will forgive you of all the messes and stresses you've created in your own life and the lives of others. And He will change you from the inside out. You're, You're dead right now, He'll give you life. He'll give you new life and He'll do it through His Son. I have embraced this, I have received this new life. Come to church with me and learn more about it. That's less than 90 seconds. Just tell them what you know. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know enough to point them to Christ because Christ is God and Christ saves.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live.